Hey everybody, I'm Dan Belmont here with my co-host, the one and only Paul Brady, and this is a Northern Wine Odyssey. Uh, This podcast is presented by Cork Report Media. To listen, search a Northern Wine Odyssey in Spotify, Google, or Apple Podcasts. We've got a good one for you today, so let's do this thing. Welcome to a Northern Wine Odyssey. I am Paul Brady and Dan Belmont is here as co-host. Hey, Dan. Hello. Fun topic today. I've wanted to do this for a long time, uh, which is we're going to go deep on the movie Sideways, particularly in in a couple different directions. One, just kind of a a rethinking of the movie and how, how it stands today, how it's affected wine, how it might continue to affect the wine industry if it ever did. Uh, and also the, the kind of fun part is if we were to in, superimpose the film sideways to make it take place in New York State and in our various wine regions with our various celebrated wines, et cetera, et cetera. Very happy to have you, Dan, here. You know a lot more about film and TV and movies and things like that, certainly, than I do. I'm just a fan. Uh, so going to be very curious to get your perspective. Um, so as we jump right into it, First thing I want to ask you is, what kind of movie is this? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I would call it a dark comedy. It's funny, but it's also quite deep and dark and, and a bit depressing. I mean, these are these are great characters to watch, but they're also very much anti-heroes. You know, they're not necessarily good people. Uh, and so um, you kind of, you know, you're, you're almost falling in love with the antagonists uh, throughout, throughout, you know, watching the movie. Um, and, and I think it, it's, it's funny, but it's, it's, it is, it is drama and it's, uh, it's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of real life behind this film. And so it's a little bit more than this kind of fluffy wine trip, this bro-y comedy that, that I think people automatically think it to be. Um, and, and admittedly, I, I am, I'm a, I'm a big fan of this film. Um, you know, came out in 2004, um, uh, lots of accolades, uh, love the two lead actors. The supporting cast is fantastic. Um, I also, I also read the books. So this is based on a book It's called sideways. Um, there's even been two more books written since then. Uh, and I've read all three. So I, I have um, a lot of experience, a lot of time. I've, I've logged a lot of hours with these characters. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've been really looking forward to this, to this chat too. Okay, so it's good that you've read the books. I have not. I probably should at least read the first one. Yeah, the first one's worth reading. <laughs> the second two you could, you could probably pass on. I should probably get around to reading War and Peace there first, maybe before, before any of these. Um, <laughs> But uh, the second one is called Vertical Right, and yep. it takes place in Oregon. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, they do a trip up to Oregon. Uh, at that point, the mother is is pretty senile, and and uh, the thing about the books is is you have to redefine these characters, and you you learn that very quickly on reading reading the original Sideways book. Um, the books are darker. The books are more depressing. The characters are more depressed. Uh, the plot is more nefarious. Uh, the the scenes are more explicit. It's it's. Uh, I had a hard time picturing Paul Giamatti as Miles. Uh, really, just kind of one chapter in, and I said, okay, let's just put those characters that I love aside, and uh, you know, enjoy this as the source material. Let me ask you this: Would you say that does the film ultimately win out over the book? Is it a better film than it is a book? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so that's pretty rare. Yeah, well, a good part of that is is also the visual imagery. You know, uh, the director Alexander Payne did just a really good job of of this creating this place, this wine country where you know there really aren't many rules, and and you know uh, you can get into trouble, and um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful place. So the cinematography is fantastic. Uh, the soundtrack is wonderful, um, and and I think they made a really uh, enjoyable kind of uh, watching experience where the book can be pretty pretty painful and raw at times. 
the soundtrack you mentioned may be the winner of this movie because it seems to me like pretty much anything that has been filmed on the subject of wine after this movie, that, that, that any new soundtrack is like an imitation of the Sideways soundtrack. Like all wine film must have a soundtrack that sounds like Sideways. A little like new age jazz, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I quite like it. I, I, I do, I, I, I might have dreamt this, but I thought I went, I, I, Try to dig around on the internet for this. I could have sworn that there was an episode of The Family Guy that, you know how The Family Guy always has flashback scenes like in, in, in Peter's head or whatever. I could have sworn there was some scene that flashed back and it was like Peter and Brian driving in a convertible with like some sort of music that kind of sounded like sideways. But I, I, I think I dreamt it. Oh, and does that kind of like that picture swap imagery too? that that kind of that tasting montage where they're driving through and visiting the tasting rooms is probably some of the the, the best footage in the movie. Yeah, agreed. Um, is this a buddy movie? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think I think even if even if their relationship is uh, completely flawed, which it is, um, I think every uh, pair of buddies and i think this is this is men this is women i think everybody has similar relationships in their life uh where you've got you know your old buddy from from uni <laughs> uh that you know you were roommates with and you've shared a lot of you know intense and and coming of age moments together but but you know 20 years on uh you have less in common and less that really kind of ties you together however you don't skip a beat when you get back together. And I think that is, that is miles and Jack for sure. Okay. You also have to drink because you used the word uni, which that's British for university. Everyone. I, anytime I you did go to a university. Brit, thank you. <laughs> anytime you use some Brit type language where we, you got to drink. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I do think this, it, it, you nailed it. It, it. It's a buddy movie and it could be any two friends really. And what you said earlier, resonates with me in that they are sort of evil characters, but endlessly likable. I think that from start to finish, you like these characters uh, as hideous as they are. It's almost like watching Seinfeld, right? Also hideous, disgusting characters, but still my favorite show of all time. And I love each and every one of those characters. So how, how do you think from the perspective of filmmaking, how is this achieved? You know, Miles is is this the Paul Giamatti character is a bit hapless, uh, you know, and and I think, you know, you pretty much realize quite quickly on that he doesn't actually have his shit together. Right. And so then you introduce Jack and their juxtaposition of just being two kind of completely different characters really plays well. If it was if it was a movie about two miles or two jacks, we would hate it. It wouldn't work. And so the way that they play off of each other and balance each other out um, really makes the, the movie fun. Yeah. And I, I think you mentioned a little bit of the writing about wine when Miles starts talking about uh, that particular sparkling wine uh, being made from Pinot Noir grapes, but it's not red, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the, the wine dialogue in this movie, I find is not an eye roll. It would have been so easy for it to be an eye roll. And it really is pretty darn good writing. It, it's like just enough, but never too much. I really think they did a good job with the wine writing because it would have been, it could have been so annoying. You agree? Yeah. I mean, as, as wine professionals, there's very little that is said that is, that is uh, controversial or hard to, you know, disagree with or pick a fight about. Um, it, it all is, is, and, and I think it is actually also ahead of its time. I mean, 2004, we're, we're way before the Psalm films, you know, people weren't necessarily talking about wine this way in the mainstream until this movie came about. And I think it also was why it had such a big impact. There was an NPR, uh, I, I can't remember what show it was, maybe The Indicator or um, Planet Money or something like that. There was, it was one of the economics shows that talked about sort of the Pinot Noir boom and whether or not Sideways really had anything to do with that or if it was just a coincidence. And if I'm remembering correctly, listeners, please come at me if, if you heard this episode and I'm remembering it wrong. But I think 
that what they concluded was that there was no real other reason that would have catapulted Pinot Noir into the, this new limelight. Um, so that that movie really kind of did have something to do with it because as you know so often is the case when big things happen it could have sort of been a coincidence um and or the case where you know in the case of sideways it gets it gets made they obsess over pinot noir pinot noir then becomes very popular maybe pinot noir was already beginning to become very popular over here in the u.s but uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I think uh, that was not the case. I mean, Pinot Noir was around, certainly, but it didn't have the cachet of Cabernet or Merlot, and we'll, we'll certainly get to that. Um, from California, uh, French wines were, were, you know, around, certainly. Burgundy, uh, Pinot Noir from Burgundy would have been around. Um, but it uh, it was not, it didn't have the household name recognition that it does now. Yeah, I think, and I think also, you know, we look back at it now as as a, a cult film, right? And it is, but it, but you also do a Google and you look at the awards that it won when it came out, and uh, it was very much a popular movie of that year. I mean, it won an Academy Award for the best um, uh, adapted screenplay. It won Screen Actors Guild awards. It won BAFTAs. It won, uh, you know, acting awards for Paul and Thomas and. Um, for the the ensemble cast, uh, it won cinematography, it won music. I mean, it was a a, a very widely received movie. It has ninety seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a good, it's pretty, it's a good movie, you know. And so I think at the time, I think it came at the right time. I think it got watched by uh, a lot of people in mass, and I, I think, yeah, I think it definitely had an effect. Well, and I'm glad you brought all those things up, all the various awards and 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 whatnot. And uh, I want to transition now into kind of going through the movie, um, going through sort of a synopsis of the movie, and and adding our take and sort of. Starting to get into the fun part, which is what if this movie were to be remade taking place in New York? And one of the one of the things that prompted this idea to record this was the podcast, which is called The Rewatchables, which is a well-known podcast. Uh, it's on the Ringer Network. It, it's mainly hosted by Bill Simmons, who is the founder and face of the Ringer Network uh, of ESPN fame originally. Uh, and the Rewatchables is a great podcast, and they have this format, and they go through all these old movies, essentially to to deduce whether or not the movie is still good, should they be rewatching it, etc. And it, and the the format that they've come up with, and they stick to with every podcast, is a really good one. So I thought that maybe for fun we could go through their format as it would relate to Sideways, and kind of have our fun playing around with. Uh, you know, superimposing the scenes into New York and see if you came up with anything different uh, from me. So Rewatchables Podcast, thank you. This is a tribute to you. Please don't take our episode down uh, for, for using your format. Uh, you were such a good friend to me during the thick of the pandemic lockdown. Okay, so beginning of the movie. In California, Miles wakes up somewhere in the San Diego area and he's running late and he's on his way to go and pick up Jack. So I'm going to say that the filming of this in New York, the way I interpret it, is that Miles wakes up somewhere in New Jersey, somewhere in the sort of Philadelphia suburbs of New Jersey, and then drives the two hours or so north, picks up Jack, who in my New York version is hanging out with his fiance and her parents somewhere in a very nice Upper West Side apartment. And Jack is playing a New York, a working New York actor. Does that sound uh, about right to you? Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that that works something. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I like the I like the the kind of Jersey start, you know, where where this wannabe writer wants to, you know, get his book sold in the big city. And so he's city adjacent. OK, good. All right. We agree on that. So moving along, Miles picks up Jack, they get in the car, they, they have their little their little what took you so long moment. Now, this is where, in my reinterpretation of this film, I had to decide, okay, are they going to obsess over Riesling? Because I think we both agree that they're on their way to the Finger Lakes. I did think about Long Island, but uh, I, I, I agree with you in, in your email notes that you said 
this needs to happen in the finger lakes. I agree. I went back and forth, forth quite a bit. Um, but, but yeah, I think the, the finger lakes is the, the road trip. Yeah. So that brings us to, do we need to make the grape that they obsess over Riesling? Or I think the other obvious choice these days would be Cabernet Franc. Now I, I rewrote this scene with both scenarios in, in mind, but with one that I kind of prefer, but either way, just for fun. If we decided to make it Riesling, the the wine that uh, Jack opens in the car to drink while they're driving. So it, in Sideways, Miles talks about how this is a sparkling Pinot Noir. It's not even made anymore. I think when I was younger and watched the film once, I zoomed in on what the label is and I did Google it. And sure enough, it was a, a Blanc de Noir made from Pinot Noir in California that doesn't exist anymore. I don't remember what that name of the winery is now. I think it was Byron. Okay, that sounds right. So I think we do need to make it a wine that is no longer going to be made any longer. So if it's a Riesling, my rewrite is that it's a Riesling pet mat uh, from a brand that was called Fossil and Till, that I believe is no longer being produced. It was a wine originally made by Chris Matthewson and Ian Barry together. Later on, Ian Barry uh, sort of exclusively took over the winemaking side of that. And I don't think the wine has come out for a few years at least. Do you, know, do you know that wine? I don't know that specific wine. I know both of those gentlemen well. but uh... it, it very well may have been the first pet mat made in New York. I, I don't like to throw out this was the first yada yada whatever wine made in New York. It's because you're almost inevitably wrong every time. But oh, There's got to be an accidental pet mat released right, at some point. <laughs> there must have been, right? But, but I don't know. It was Fossil until the first intentional pet mat. Maybe it was. Hmm. Um, listeners, let us know. Um, or if it's Cabernet Frog and we want to set up the film, because this, this is an important scene in the movie where they really set up that Pinot Noir is going to be the driving grape uh, in, in Sideways. So if it's Cabernet Franc, I think it's also a wine that was made by Chris Matthewson, which would have been the Bellwether 2017 Cabernet Franc. It was made one time only and it would never be made again. What are your, what are your thoughts? Are we going Riesling or are we going Cabernet Franc? I think we have to go Riesling. Ah, okay, good. I, I think so. I think, you know, if if we're going to, you know, if it's California and you're going to Santa Inez, you're 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 going Pinot, you know? Uh and it makes it makes a lot of sense for that region. I think to go up to the Finger Lakes and and chase Cab Franc, uh, I think might uh uh do the the region a bit of injustice. Um, don't get me wrong. I love the Cab Franc. We've, we went over this last week. Uh, and, um, I have gone on Cab Franc chasing trips without a doubt, but for these purposes, I think if we want that monologue to be really strong at the kind of apex of the movie, uh, I think, uh, it's gotta go Riesling. Okay, good. So I think it's gotta go Cabernet Franc. So this is, this is great. This, uh, for the sake of <laughs> podcasting, this is gonna, this is gonna be more interesting. Uh, I just think that red wine always wins especially when it comes to popular culture uh, and, you know, sales in general. So if sure. we're making this movie today and we're, we're, we're doing it in New York, we're doing it in the Finger Lakes, I'm, I'm comfortable going with Cabernet Franc just because it, it to me, it just makes more sense that uh, a style like that would take off more in the eyes of consumers than Riesling. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like your take. So let's um, keep that in mind as, as we continue to go, and if uh, I've got some uh, some some other wines that I that I've chosen ahead of time to sort of insert into various scenes, uh, New York wine. So maybe uh, maybe you do as well. Let's see. Okay, moving on. So uh, so they're driving up to the Finger Lakes, and there's that super weird, awkward scene. It's my least favorite scene in the movie where they stop at Jack's mother's house somewhere on the way up to wine country. And so in the New York version, I'm going to say they stopped somewhere in the Binghamton area. That's about halfway or maybe a little less than halfway more. I don't know. Yeah, it depends on depends on what way they go up, really. I mean, if if you want to avoid traffic, you might pop back out to the Jersey side and then drive through Pennsylvania and then you're going up through Scranton. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, could have could have even been there. That's a good call. I in my head, they went over the GW bridge up the Palisades and eventually to 17. But. I like I like that version. Yeah, totally could have been in the Scranton area somewhere. Yeah, that scene. I mean, again, I, I think that the the big 
the takeaways from that scene are un- unfortunately that you know he steals from his mother he uh has an opportunity to spend time with the rest of his family and chooses jack over them and they leave before the mother even wakes up in the morning um and so i think it's just more it's more character development i think it's also uh opportunity for for jack to give more exposition on his background and and uh, how he was uh, at a higher place back in the day, doing a lot of bigger commercials where now he's doing more voiceovers and, and things like that. And um, and so I think it, it's, it's really just, um, it's exposition. Yeah, and I think also it really hammers the point that this movie is highly believable. I don't think there's anything unbelievable about this movie. I think it's like the word realism sort of comes to mind. Comes to mind. Uh, and, and casting of the mother is fantastic. Sure. And, th- and that scene, as much as it's uncomfortable, uh, it does seem very real that uh, a, a middle aged or young man person does want to wake up and get on the road with, with their friend instead of to hang around and have brunch with the family. Um, so, yeah, again, makes the, catable, the, the character is nice and hateable, um, but is also very real. So moving on, uh, we we get to the first winery scene, which is at Sanford uh, in Santa Barbara County, and Miles has the little little explanation of like what Central Coast Chardonnay is like. He talks about malolactic fermentation in the car. Again, really good writing, good good winery, good wine dialogue, not too annoying, um, and. This is one of the categories of the Rewatchables podcast, which is what is the most rewatchable scene? And I actually think for me, the scene at Sanford, which is their first wine tasting scene, is the most rewatchable scene. It's the first time we see them really analyzing wine. It's the first winery that they go to. It's the first uh, sort of very descriptive tasting notes that we hear from the Miles character. And it's just overall kind of a fun scene. And in the end, the last thing he says is, are you chewing gum? it's got the punchline the punchline's there and i think that makes makes it uh, a a really good candidate for for that scene uh for for that rewatchable scene uh yeah i don't disagree i think that is 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 a top scene it's also you know one of the first times where someone introduced tasting technique really in in mainstream cinema i mean he really does do a walkthrough on how to taste and it's it's believable and it's it's hilarious i mean when he when he puts his 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 hand and covers his ear to smell the wine I mean, that, <laughs> that's too good you know? I, I don't even think um, i noticed that but that's brilliant oh yeah he like he like he like just it's it's like he's got like a pair of headphones in and he just kind of like oh he's got to got to really let the let the notes come to him you know oh it's so funny um but yeah i uh i i think that is a that's a fantastic scene yeah and i also think it's very much of the time because i think tasting has changed so you you know if we were to rewrite it today i think we might update that a little bit i think they spend way too much time looking at the wine and smelling the wine like those are things that have essentially been debunked when you're when you're actually assessing wine it's it should be common knowledge now that you really can't tell anything about a wine until you taste it. Um, so I, I, I would change some things about that, but it does make for good cinema. Um, okay, now, in my version of this film, the winery in the Finger Lakes, where they are, that scene, they're at Damiani. And they're tasting with Phil Davis. Because yeah, Phil Davis like kind of looks like the Sanford guy. He's got long hair. <laughs> He'd be a perfect character to have behind the tasting bar. Uh, and also, I, ju- I just can hear Miles My- saying, so this is a winery that kind of more focuses on their reds than than Rieslings, even though this is a region that's more known for Riesling. Uh, but these guys focus on reds. Like, I, I don't know. To me, that was, that was the perfect first winery uh, in the area that I have the film situated in, which is the east side of Seneca Lake. How do, how do you feel about all that? You want you want to you want to add a hot take, change anything? Well, I, I think that really east or west is kind of anybody's game. But if you want to hit a really good winery right away, I think Damiani is a great choice. In my version, we're just a stone's throw away at Red Newt, and we're tasting with Dave Whitting. Beautiful. I've got Red Newt coming back in, in, in a little bit. <laughs> All right. So then I have been checking into the, you know, that motel that's like 
near Hector Falls, near the waterfall. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I forget what it's called. It might be called like Waterfall Motel or something. I've never stayed there. I've always wanted to stay there. I don't even know if it's still open, but it used to be open and it looks like the kind of place that they would go and stay. You know, if you're you're gonna stay at the the windmill, no, you're gonna stay at the the. I mean, is it? It's not Seneca Falls. It's it's something like that. Motor in Falls, yeah. Motor in or something. I I don't know, but yeah. it always looked cool. Yep. I mean, it's it's perched pretty precariously right on the cliffside. Uh, I'm sure the views from the rooms are actually fantastic. Okay, so I also have it set there because that's an easy walk or short drive to the Stone Cat, which. In my version, the stone cat is the hitching post. Yep, I like that. Yeah, that works. Miles, so they go to dinner. Miles meets the love interest, who waits tables. The stone cat. I also have her going to a school at Cornell. Um, and so when they walk into that bar, that's another important scene, I think. So they they roll in the movie. They roll up to the bar. Miles knows the bartender. Starts chatting. And the bartender says, we have the new, I can't remember what it is, but it's one of the like smaller um, Biendecito or something like that, which is like a smaller area of Santa Barbara County. Can't remember. I didn't get that detailed into it because, I mean, Hitching Post does make a number of wines, not only the Highliner, so it could have been some other single site Pinot Noir. Not that important. They're drinking Pinot Noir. Um, I actually, I actually sell the Highliner. I have it on my website. Oh, fun. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's, yeah. it's certainly famous and pretty good. So, like, you know, this is this is where, in, in your version, if they're drinking Riesling, I would have to assert it would have to be some single vineyard designation, maybe like the Weimar Magdalena. Um, in my version, with Cabernet Franc, this is where he introduces Lamero Landing T23 Cabernet Franc, which is mm. fastly becoming an important Cabernet Franc in the region, or has been for, for quite a while now. In, I think they started making that in the early aughts and famously is an unoaked Cabernet Franc. So is a very nice uh, expression of what pure Cabernet Franc from the thing like has been and, and continues to be. Decanter just did an excellent write-up of that very recently. Good. I just drank the 2021 and it's, it's nice. It's so different from the 19 and 20. Those were also excellent wines. The 2021 was very good. I literally took down the whole bottle by myself while I that and hmm. ate a steak. Okay, so so in your version, they sit and drink a Riesling. Did you have in mind something like the Weimar Magdalena or something from Red yeah, like, I was I, I was thinking Argot Singer. Okay. All right. Definitely. Uh, from uh, Ravines. You know, again, single vineyard designation, something you look forward to trying uh, every vintage. And uh, yeah. So they have their dinner there. Miles meets the, the, the love interest. She's introduced for the first time. They have that drink that they share at the at the bar afterward so there's a there's one of the categories in the rewatchables podcast is what um what's what's an important uh sequence that is like not hugely important but is kind of important this is when someone has a small role but really makes the most of it i'm going to give that to the bartender at the hitching post Dude, he's so good, and he becomes in really important later. Yeah, he. Um, they actually. So I've I've listened to the kind of behind the scenes rewatch with Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church. It came with the DVD, <laughs> uh, and um, they 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 love the supporting cast that they worked with in this movie. And uh, they actually said that the the bartender, whose obviously name I don't know, um, but uh, was just spectacular. Yeah, and then of course later Miles uses him to he places blame on him and says that it was him that told Maya that Jack was getting married, and so he very very important uh, supporting role that guy for sure. Um, okay, so so the next day is when they have their big day of tasting, and they I think again east side of Seneca Lake, perfect place for that. They can you know the, the line that Miles uses is they're going to drive north start there so that as they drink more they end up closer to the hotel when i did this trip for the first time uh having obviously seen uh sideways at that point i had this exact plan and i told my uh, girlfriend at the time my, my now wife that we're gonna drive we're gonna do the long part of the drive we're gonna start we're gonna work our way back this way that the more that we drink closer we are to the hotel uh and we stayed we stayed in Watkins Glen we stayed at the Harbor Hotel 
uh, cause I was trying to show off and, uh, but first winery, three brothers, three wineries and one, uh, it's a troublesome start to the day, frankly. <laughs> Fun, but yeah, maybe troublesome. Yeah. No one drink and drive. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I myself keep a breathalyzer with me because uh, as somebody who has a liquor license in their name, I don't ever want to even take that chance. So if I'm if I'm not below a point oh three, uh, I I do not drive. I recommend everybody who is in the wine industry and is driving around these places get yourself a breathalyzer and use them. It's good business, mate. Yeah. Okay, so uh, all right, so they work their way down and eventually. I have them ending up at Red Newt, and that is where the Stephanie character, played by Sandra O, oh, works in the tasting room. So here's my introduction to Red Newt. And all right, so this this is a pretty important scene in the movie. Uh, this is where Maya, where she she pours them the Cabernet Franc, and she makes mention of saying that not too many wineries in the region do a varietal Cabernet Franc there, and she talks about wine competitions, how it won a silver medal or something like that. That hilarious to me i mean you the only places that talk about wine competition are regions like this where the wines are being made like you just don't hear people in the big cities san francisco new york etc you really don't hear anyone talking about wine competitions anymore but sideways is produced in 2004 and that was a time when wine competitions were talked more about um so again i would leave that line i think it's great because people in these regions still do talk about competitions even though i think competitions are are not useless but i feel like they should be used in, in different ways and that's a hot take i know some people might hate me for that but uh anyway no listen i i think it just doesn't transcend beyond the tasting room i enjoy being in a tasting room and seeing some wines with medals on them that's fun uh that also shows that they are not afraid to put their wines out there and they're willing to stand behind their wines uh, and that they're getting sense check on, on, you know, really how their wines stand up to other wines. Uh, beyond that, I could not care. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I just, you know, reworked the, um, New York wine and grape foundations, uh, you know, um, uh, wine guide and, and the curriculum and the previous version has about 28 pages of awards dating back to the 1980s listed. <laughs> Uh, and I cut every single one of them. I think I, I made some mentions of when uh, awards started to be won. I make mention that we are a, a award-winning region and state, etc. cetera. Uh, but I think beyond that, no one uh, is of particular concern that, you know, a wine tasting that takes place at a state fair somewhere gave them a, a bronze medal. Yeah, and actually... I did record an episode uh, a while back about wine competitions with Carrie Dykes. That was a fun episode. Go back and listen to that if you haven't. Anyone who listens, um, Carrie has judged a lot and offers a really good take. I had just come off of judging at the Michigan wine competition, so uh, that was a good one. I'm, I don't think competitions are useless. I just think sometimes they're focused in the wrong area. But um, uh, Dan, you and I can talk about that more at length another time. Um, Okay, so Stephanie's working at Red Newt. This is another important scene in uh, in Sideways when Miles says, she pours him the Cabernet Franc and he says, you know, I've come to never expect greatness from Cabernet Franc and this is no exception. Something like that. Pours it, pours it in the spittoon, very ceremoniously. <laughs> pours it into the spittoon. And then, you know, spoiler alert, in the end, Miles comes back, uh, his trophy bottle that he drinks uh, at the end of the movie is a blend of Merlot and Cabernet Franc. So this is kind of setting that up for later. So uh, I'm going to give something away here uh, and we'll, we'll come back to this at the end. Uh, so this is what he, this is in, in, in my version, what, what she pours at Red Newt for him. And I, I don't think that Red Newt has ever made this wine, but I'm sure someone's trying, uh, is a glass of Semillon. I would imagine that there's some corner of the Finger Lakes someone has grown from Semillon or someone is purchasing from Semillon from Long Island and is making a varietal wine with it. It's not impossible. And I could totally see a winery being excited about their Semillon. And I could totally see some wine, uh, you know, hobbyist or even someone saying, you know, I just don't like Semillon that much, blah, blah, blah. So. Uh, we will revisit that, but that's that's how mine goes there. <laughs> what 
what what are you what are you what what would what what what's your take on that? Because you're going with Riesling, so it's got to be you got to tie this in somehow with the end of the movie. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's the hard part. That's true. So in in my head, I was I was going to take a shot at hybrids, and and particularly because you know I'm still putting this movie back. 10, 15 years where it would be perfectly acceptable to take a, take a, you know, a, a below the belt shot at a, at a hybrid grape at that, at that time. Uh, so I was going to say something like a, you know, a Vignoles or a Save All Blanc, something like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I forgot that it tied into that, that last wine. So you're gonna have to come back to me. I'll have a think on that. Well, I think that most of the, most sort of, the masses of people who watch this movie probably don't know enough about wine to put that together either. I'm not, not trying to dumb anybody's perspective down, but you, you would have to know more than just a little bit about wine to realize that the blend of a Cheval Blanc is Merlot and Cabernet Franc, right? So I, I think that that uh, might skip by a lot, a lot of viewers. Um, so anyway, moving forward. So they make dinner plans with Stephanie and Maya, and I have them ending up for their dinner at Graft in Walking Point. Yeah, I like that. I thought about it. Could have been Daniel's. Could have been Hazel Hazelnut Kitchen over in Trumansburg, but it just seemed like the easiest drive. Hey, it could have even been somewhere up in Geneva, but Graft, nice place in Watkins Glen, not too long of a drive. Uh, that's that's where I put them. All right, now that I think about it, though. I'm starting to think that maybe this is an opportunity to send them to Geneva to Kindred Fair because I think in this scene, they in the film they do drink some wines from outside of California. Uh, so I think you got to have a place that doesn't only sell New York wine. So I don't think that's Graft. I think Graft might be an only New York wine list. I think Kindred Fair is a really smart, really smart choice. Yeah. Yeah. Also, just a very nice restaurant, great interior. So maybe they're at Kindred Fair. They drink a whole bunch. Miles has his drunk phone call with uh, uh, his ex. And, of course, prior to this scene is the famous, I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot. So, the way I have this, and now you're going to know how I'm going to tie this all together in the end, is um, Jack says, and if they want to drink Merlot, you're drinking Merlot or whatever it is. But in this case, he says, if they want to drink Sauvignon Blanc, you're drinking Sauvignon Blanc. And I choose that grape, and you're, you're, you're seeing why now, um, because there is a little bit of Sauvignon Blanc produced in the Finger Lakes, but it's not a flagship grape variety for the region. It's a curiosity. And I think the reason that the Merlot joke was written into Sideways was because, again, like you go to the Central Coast to celebrate Pinot Noir and Syrah and Chardonnay. You don't go there to celebrate Merlot. So again, I don't think it's anything that anyone below the level of a semi-serious wine drinker would would know. I don't know. To me, that has always been a strong symbol in in the movie, and it has always made a lot of sense. I like it. And and now I know where you're going at the end. Okay. So it's yeah, no, you've given this more thought than I have. It's good. <laughs> I've given this years of thought, sadly. All right. So <laughs> I like trying to keep some of the things the same. In the movie, so like when they're at Stephanie's house and Miles and Maya drink a bottle of the Andrew Murray Syrah, um, like I have them drinking a, a Syrah, a Syrah from Atwater, because why not? They're in that area. That's primarily if someone's making a Syrah, usually the grapes are coming from somewhere over there. Yeah, could be he- could Banana be Hector Wine Company, could be Atwater. Could be um, yeah. Red Newt's got it. Um, Red Newt makes it every once in a while. Um, so yeah, I I I just chose hot water. One of the another question in the rewatchables that they always ask is what's aged the best in uh, in this movie? Oh, and I guess I should go back. Um, we talked about the most rewatchable scene being at Sanford. Another, I, I kind of mentioned this, but I do think that the best quote in the movie is I've never come to expect greatness from Cabernet Franc and this is no exception. That's that's my favorite. And that's, that's a category in uh, rewatchables. So I, I felt like this is a good time to talk about what's aged the best. And I don't know, you're going to have to tell me, I think the acting in particular has aged the best, but maybe it's also the writing. Maybe the writing is really the the star of the show here, but Maybe it's both. I just think that 
when you have strong acting, strong acting can elevate even mediocre writing and vice versa, right? If you have weaker acting but strong writing, the film can still be good. Um, but the acting and the writing seem to be so good. If I had to choose one over the other, I just like, I continue to be blown away that, you know, Lowell from Wings, I will always think of <laughs> Jack as Lowell from Wings, like just comes out of nowhere after many years of, I don't know, maybe he was doing stuff. I didn't see him in anything. Just comes and nails this part. I just think that the acting in particular, the character Jack is what has aged the best for me. Phenomenal casting choice. Uh, of Thomas Hayden Church. You know, I think the character uh, art imitates life a little bit there where, you know, uh, 15 years prior, you know, or 10 years prior when he's he's on wings and he's, you know, a household name. I have a feeling he could relate, but yeah, he, his character is, is, is a classic, you know, and I think, um, I think the fun of going wine tasting is also uh, uh, is, is, is aging incredibly well. Um, you know, and the next day they're about to go, uh, I believe they go out to a, a wine festival. Yeah. They go out like tasting at a bunch of different wineries. Cause I know that I can kind of spot one of the wineries they end up at is Firestone, hmm. I think, which is in the Santa Barbara area. And it's the one where they kind of dip out of the tour and they go and they sneak into the barrel room. And so I was trying to think who is, who is this guy that's talking at this event that everyone just ducks out of. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I don't want to like pick anybody in particular, but I've got somebody in mind and I think it's funny. <laughs> I really want to know. Come on. Oh, I was, I was thinking, I was thinking this is, this is a classic uh, uh, Bob Medill holding court. Uh, <laughs> perfect perfect <laughs> shout out to old bob perfect uh, uh but man uh you know what a what a uh, a fun guy to listen to uh, uh talk for sure and so yeah they duck out and i think you know again i think visiting wineries has has aged incredibly well i think it's only gotten more popular i think um uh since the movie and i also love so this is uh as, as we, this, this is a good way to keep us going through through the film to keep to keep us moving. So um, they have their their dinner, they have their night, they have their day, and then you have, you know, Jack has his his wild night with with uh, Stephanie and Miles doesn't really know what's going on. Miles finds himself alone at the bar of the hotel that they're staying at, which is kind of a dive bar. I've actually been into this hotel bar. Once upon a time, when I was a musician touring around California, one of the other guys in the band and I, we had like an extra night of not having anything to do. So we rented a car and drove from LA up to do one night of Central Coast wine tasting. Ended up staying at the same hotel, the windmill, which at least then was a day's in. And uh, the bar attached to it is the exact same. And I'll never forget this night because I don't remember what year it was, but it, the, the Detroit Red Wings were in the Stanley Cup Finals. And they won the Stanley Cup that night. And we were watching it on the TV at that bar. Um, so anyway, the bar is real. And what I like about it is this is perfectly applicable to the Finger Lakes. Because Miles is drinking some bottle of wine at this kind of dark like bar with a pool table and whatnot. Where you might not think you can get a decent bottle of wine. But one of the things I like about dive bars in the Finger Lakes is that usually you can get pretty darn good wine. Even if like the mixed drinks or the beers aren't to your liking for for whatever reason, like I've been in a number of different dive bars where like I know I can get some good local wine. So I can just think of a scenario where I was at a dive bar once in the Finger Lakes and I was drinking some Ian Barry Rosé, mm. Barry Family Cellars Rosé, mm -hmm. amazing wine to walk into a dive bar and you just see the bottle there and you're like, yes. Um, and there are any number of other wines that uh, in the Finger Lakes that you show up to a dive bar, you might be able to get to drink like a Hosmer Chardonnay, you know, or a or a you know, Hazlitt Pinot Gris. Any number of really, really good wines could be in a dive bar. I had him uh, going to Two Goats Brewing, thinking, you know, if we're going to continue to play up the gorgeous kind of cinematography and, uh, you know, this this the wine region itself being a character in the film. I do not think there is a better view of Seneca Lake than from the deck at Two Goats Brewing. 
That's a great call. Nice. I mean, after a day of, of drinking Riesling, all I want is a cold beer. Um, yeah, and, uh, sure. I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a popular winemaker haunt for, for that very reason. Um, also this is a, a Riesling movie. Um, I have a prescription strength fluoride toothpaste, uh, so that I don't just completely rip off the enamel off my teeth. Uh, and I think that's, uh, it's another good tip if you're doing big tasting days in, in high acid regions. That is a boss move. Uh, I, I should do the very same. All right, so that's that's when the movie starts to get particularly dark here. Jack is now leading on Stephanie. Miles and Maya have had sex at this point, and Miles lets it slip that Jack is getting married. Miles then lies to Jack about it, says that the bartender at the hitching post is the one that gave it away. And um, they then, to kind of cheer Miles up, for whatever reason, they go to a mediocre winery where, where Miles discovers that his book has been rejected. This could be almost any winery. We don't need to insert one here. Like, I don't know. If, it looked like a real tasting room that they went to, but I don't know if whatever. We wouldn't want to, like, insult any winery by saying that this is a mediocre winery. No, 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 no. It'd be easy um, to stage it. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember where they... they... In the movie, I believe that the winery is called Frass Canyon, and I don't think that actually exists. Um, but but that's the the name outside the the winery when they go in. Um, but I will say that there are too many wineries with awful awful gift shops. And so when I picture what winery they go to, they are going to one of the many wineries with really that really tacky tacky gift shops. And I think that we tend to think of California as being ahead of New York in terms of like a contemporary vibe. So when we walk into all the various hideous tasting rooms that are tacky and just have, you know, knickknacks all over the place and metals and this and that, and, uh, and it feels outdated. Amazing to see that the same is true in California. I mean, maybe we're 10 years behind, but those wineries were hideously out like tacky as well yep. so <laughs> it's really not just uh new york or the east coast over here california has some pretty hideous fighters too uh okay stephanie then beats the shit out of jack with a motorcycle helmet <sighs> uh great scene so real the whole thing and then this is where this is another question in, in from the rewatchables format which is what is aged the worst and I think the whole trying to get laid during your bachelor party week or weekend is what has aged the worst. I really hope that that has not been influential at all because cheating in any way, shape, or form, not okay. Even on a bachelor week, like this, this should not be, uh, you know, celebrated as normal. Any, anyway, okay, so, um, all right, so Jack's now got a broken nose. They go, they get him fixed up, and, and now they want to go out to eat somewhere. And that's when they go to that barbecue place, which is also right there in that part of uh, of uh, the region, near the Hitching Post, near the Windmill Hotel. Um, Jack meets Cammy, the waitress, who he then seduces. Uh, this is a great scene. Everything that happens after this is hilarious and dark and funny. And as you mentioned in your note, she is a phenom- She has a phenomenal small part. Yeah, again, just just really good casting. Yeah, and so this is, this brings me to another one of uh, the the categories in the rewatchables, which is called half-assed internet research. <laughs> so, I, in pretty much doing only half-assed internet research for for this, uh, apparently uh, Thomas Hayden uh, Church did strip down naked in his audition for the movie, for this part. And none of the other actors did. I did not know that, but that um, that takes balls. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. You know, the, the movies... Oh, and I also had them going to uh, Nichols Pit Barbecue in Watkins Glen. I figured, yeah. Okay, so the movie's pretty much over now. Uh, they, they're, they're starting to, to get ready to go home. Uh, there is that hilarious scene where where Jack uh, you know, hooks up with with Cammy. The husband comes home, finds him there, chases him out. Jack uh, has to run home naked back to the motel. Uh, they then have to go and get his wallet back because it has his engagement rings. Uh, this these are all this is a hilarious part of the movie. 
And then that guy who you mentioned hmm. in your in your notes, the guy who plays the husband of Cammy, <laughs> was the limo driver in the Mighty Ducks. That's yep. hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that's that's amazing coincidence. And 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 so there's a another category in the rewatchables, which is called oh, it's called the Joey Pants Award. The That Guy Award. This goes to the actor who you will have seen in quite a few movies, but you would never know his name or her name. And that's the actor who plays the husband yep. uh, of Cammy, right? It, you perfectly nailed it. Couldn't be more happy that you pointed that out. And he's been in some other stuff, too. Oh, of course. Yeah, and a good dose of full frontal there. Uh, yeah. And you know, one of the other parts that makes that scene so good is that the sounds that both Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church make when they see him running towards the car and he runs smacks right, smacks right into the window. <laughs> uh, it is, it's, it's too funny. Yeah. And just, again, just so real, like the ta- like that, like dusk or whenever it is, or dawn, whenever they go and film him mm-hmm. running in and out of the house, get the wallet. It's just like, again, it's just very real and, and oddly believable. Yeah, that set with the that they filmed at that house was a foreclosed house that used to belong to a hoarder, and uh, so everything that you see in the house was there prior, and so there's just kind of piles of crap, and everything's dirty, and and all of that literally existed, uh, and they they're like, we did nothing to this house. We went in, we filmed, and we got out as fast as we could. Yeah, amazing, brilliant, uh, and so. Movie's pretty much done. I'm gonna I'm gonna take my I'm gonna wait until we're we're kind of done talking to 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 sum it all up with the final wine. But there's a few more categories um, that are kind of fun. Please. All right. Uh, there's something called the overacting award. The overacting award I think has to go to Thomas Hayden Church, but in a good way. I think that you have to overact to play this buffoon of a person who is believable, but it's probably hard to nail in a role like that. Um, usually this is talked about in the pejorative sense, but I think in this case, his overacting is good. That, that's how I look at this. But from a more classical sense, since you have the training here, who would you, if anyone, is there anyone who overacted in this? Uh, no, I, I think that, that Jack is a larger-than-life character. Uh, and, and so I'm also, you know, from a theater background, uh, I've never been particularly good on camera because I also am a rather large, uh, presence. Uh, and so better, better from a distance on stage than, than up close and personal on, on, on camera. Uh, but no, Jack makes some Thomas Hayden church as Jack makes some choices, uh, throughout that are just delightful. He does one. Um, at the dinner scene, uh, with the with the the two ladies, and he does like a like a tiger kind of growl thing. And he's like, Row! and it's just and it's, <laughs> it is it is so bad, but so good. You know, when he when he comes back uh, uh, naked after you know running uh, you know ten clicks or whatever it is, you know, uh, and he's like, oh, he's like you know, the ostrich, you know, and it's like, it's like I ran through an ostrich farm. And he's like, those fuckers were mad, you know? <laughs> and so there, there's, there's some lines there that, you know, that he owns 100%. And I think, um, I, I think his performance is all the better for it. So, you know, uh, uh larger than life, sure. Uh, overacting from a negative perspective, definitely not. Yeah. And there's just some other hilarious lines that I think only he could have delivered in, in, in a good way. And a, another friend of mine who's in Sunday in Michigan, we both love this movie and kind of love to, to quote these lines whenever it makes sense. So a couple of those are when, um, there's a couple of times when they're in tasting rooms and Miles is sort of, you know, pontificating and, and Jack just goes, I don't know. It tastes pretty good to me. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay. Mm, tastes pretty good to me like he's just everything tastes good to him and then there's there's another one where where miles is like yeah this this rhymes a little bit tight needs a minute and then i don't know if that's exactly how he says it but the jack character just goes yeah tight tight yeah no i think he says i think he says it's tighter than a nun's asshole if i'm yeah Which again, you know, some of the stuff that comes out of, out, of, out of Paul Giamatti is 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 ridiculous. 
you know, and he's quoting Bukowski and all this other, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wild script. It really is funny. All right. Um, Overacting award. We talked about casting. What if Uh, I did a little bit of research and apparently George Clooney wanted to play Jack and uh, the director had a meeting with him, Um, but obviously didn't go any farther than that. Yeah, they ended up working. The the director and, and Clooney worked together. They did uh, Up in the Air together, um, and maybe another one too. I think did did I think Alexander Payne also did The Descendants. I think he did. Um, but uh, so they they just might be friends. Um, yeah. However, I I wouldn't recast Thomas Hayden Church. Not in a million years. Okay. Um, unanswerable questions is another category. So my unanswerable question is, does Miles end up with Maya? Now you've read the books, so you know. That is, that is, that is ultimately answerable. Yeah. I I mean, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but they, they go 10 rounds, um, both post what we see in the movie in through the second book, uh, through, uh, the third book really. Uh, and so they, they take a whole lot of pages to, to figure their shit out for sure. Uh, miles, uh, I'm sorry, Maya does become a winemaker though. I can say that. So her character is in the sequel. Yes. Yep. Both. both okay. Uh, smaller. If if I remember, it's been it's been a while since I've read both. Um, but in Vertical, she makes a small appearance and is referenced to quite a bit. Their relationship having ended, uh, and then um, she then gets married to someone I believe who was a, also a winemaker, uh, but then again divorced, and then uh, her and Miles come full circle uh, in the third book. And they end up together. Uh, it is, I, if uh, if I remember correctly, it is alluded that they are they are on their way to meet each other once again, happily ever happily ever after. So they okay. So they end up happily ever after. All right, I love this question answered. Now there's there's there are not movies about those books, are there? No, no, there's not. No, and and like I said, probably for for good reason. Um, uh, the the. The, the difference between the original book and the movie are they're, they're pretty stark. Um, you know, the actual, the character of Maya is, is kind of uh, has a much more nefarious role in the whole uh, kind of courtship uh, um, than, than what we get, you know, kind of her uh, just pretty much pure innocence in the movie. Uh, and so, you know, everybody's a little, a little, a little fucked up. <laughs> okay. Another uh, rewatchable question. Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix series? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, I think so too. It. I think there's like never been more interest that in, you know, food, beverages and beautiful scenery. I mean, so yeah, I mean, it seems like there are shows like this. Yeah. I'm actually watching one at the moment. Uh, and it's an Amy Schumer led series called life and Beth. Um, can't remember i think it's i think i'm watching it on disney plus which i have no idea what you'd end up watching it on back in the states it might be hulu at that point um but uh she plays a new york city wine rep uh that ultimately ends up uh going out to long island where she's from originally uh and um hilarity ensues i won't give anything away it's uh got michael Sarah in the cast as well uh, it's quite quite funny all right gotta check that out um okay another category apex mountain as in you know for who was this the most important for i i gotta say the film sideways was probably probably the most important for the author of the original book which rex pickett right rex pickett yeah yeah i mean like giamatti has gone on to star in plenty of stuff uh, the other actors have done all right. Uh, I, you know, the I, I, I got to say, I mean, the, the film is more famous than the book, but that only makes more money for the author. So pretty important for that, that author. What, what kind of goes on with the, the following book is that Miles kind of mirrors Rex Pickett's actual life. Miles writes the book sideways about his time that weekend with Jack it becomes a movie, right? The movie industry chews him up and spits him out. And there are a few times where 
he just gets kind of contracted to, you know, hop in the limo with a bunch of tech bros to go up and take them on wine tours. And he's absolutely miserable throughout the whole thing. Uh, and so, um, you know, he, again, never really set out to be a wine guy or someone who changed the wine world, but he uh, finds himself uh, very much living that these days. Okay, I'm so glad you read these books. It's it's really interesting. Like I, like I said, like I... I watched the movie first uh and fell in love with the movie first and and i very much separate those characters and i was even trying to think of like who i would cast as miles if not paul giamatti who could be so much darker and awful and depressed and one of the actors i came up with is is tom sizemore uh, who's, you know, got his own problems. Uh, but, but, um, he could, he could definitely get to that real, real dark, raunchy place that, that the character does in the books, um, which I thought would be just a, a weird, weird casting choice. <laughs> well, so that's, uh, that's actually one of the quests, one of the other rewatchable categories, which is the recasting couch. Mm. If you were to recast the movie, who would replace who? So you think Tom Sizemore as, as, uh, instead of Paul Giamatti could have done if, it. If it was closer to the, the, the source material. For gotcha. this particular movie, no. Um, I'm not actually sure who who would do better than, than Giamatti. I don't know. So I, well, hold on first. Can I, I have sort of a funny Please. anecdote as to Tom Sizemore. So Tom Sizemore is from Michigan. And I went to ninth grade homecoming with his younger sister, Katie Sizemore. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Tom, Tom Sizemore at, from um, uh, Saving Private Ryan, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's the guy. <laughs> Katie Sizemore, hope you're doing well. She's always a very nice girl. Um, okay, so I on the recasting couch, I that's a tough one. I didn't, I couldn't replace Giamatti with anyone, but I thought, for the Jack character, maybe is it Sean W. Scott Stifler, that guy? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, he could he could certainly he could certainly do it. Yeah, he might have um, been too young. Yeah, that's that's the thing. I think you know these this, this is a definitely a, a midlife crisis movie, right? And so now I'm thinking, okay, if it was actually Clooney, who would be the the Giamatti to to the Clooney? Um, and and I'm not uh, okay. Well, what, I have I have one. I have well, I have another one for for uh, for Jack, which okay. is a younger Brian Cranston. Nice. I mean, well, Cran Cranston. You, I mean, you know, phenomenal actor can can certainly give a hundred and ten percent and and make very interesting choices. So uh, yeah, take my money. Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking like Cranston from from his small role on Seinfeld as Dr. Tim Wally. He's kind of mm -hmm. a like handsome dentist friend who's uh, kind of a womanizer. Uh, I don't know. I thought yeah. good. Matt LeBlanc would be good. That's a good one. That's a good call. Uh, interesting recasting couch. More interesting than I thought it would be. Okay, uh, before I get to my final line, the, the final category is who won the movie. Now, this can be an actor, a director, or sometimes it's like the studio. So you can get kind of abstract here with who won the movie. What would you say? I think, like I said, I think Wine won the movie. I think, I think Pinot Noir won the movie. Um, you know, I think, I think Wine Festivals won the movie. I think uh, um, those, those day trips out to Long Island won the movie. <laughs> And so, uh, and so, yeah, I think there are a lot of winners. And uh, I think the only loser here is Merlot. And I fucking love Merlot. Um, but all those things that you said, I mean, you and I won the movie. Like, we, we are here. The fact that we're here yeah. doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Any, wine won the movie, and anybody who is privileged to work professionally in the wine industry, uh, we, we should all yeah. nod our heads take our hats off to, to the movies I wrote. Do you think the, the, the region uh, gained uh, a particular notoriety, like the, the Santa Ynez, Ynez Valley? Totally. I mean, the, the, so I actually have a, had a, have a good friend who was a roommate in college, and his dad lived in Montecito, out in that area. And we went out for like a couple of spring breaks. We flew out there just to, you know, just to have something to do and go visit. And 
and he took us out wine tasting. Uh, so this is before uh, Sideways came out. And the next time I went to that region was certainly after. And everything was different. Like when you, I remember going into the hotel, they give you a Sideways map. Like with all the places where everything was filmed and everything. And, and there were just signs of it everywhere. So definitely uh, that that region made some more money in, in, in the years just after Sideways. Uh, whether that has cooled off, I don't know. I mean, I think California Pinot Noir ultimately has done all right. Fantastic wines still coming out of that area without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so what I have as Miles' is trophy wine. So the... The, the ultimate irony of the movie, um, in case in case um, anyone missed this, is that Miles says he hates Merlot and he says he, you know, all Cabernet Franc is mediocre. But when the Maya character asks him what his trophy bottle and his collection is, and he says the 1961 Shovel Blanc, which is, of course, a blend of Merlot and Cabernet Franc from the right bank of Bordeaux. So that's kind of, you know, the, the fun, ironic twist. And then in the end of the movie, he, of course, is drinking his 61 Shadow Blanc at a diner while eating what looks to be a burger and onion rings. Uh, every time mm. I see that, I want I mean, It's probably a good it. pairing, honestly. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I always, mostly the onion rings are what I really want. Um, so since it made, made sense to me for him to freak out and say, I'm not drinking any fucking Sauvignon Blanc and... And, you know, turning down the curiosity that Semyon might be <laughs> here in New York. I think his trophy bottle that he opens in the end and that he talks about is a bottle of Aubryon Bordeaux Blanc, which would be a blend of Sauvignon Blanc and Semyon. I love it. Which is perhaps anticlimactic because it's not red wine, but I don't know. It, it could work. Yeah. Yeah. No, no complaints, really. Uh, your, your, your logic throughout with the wine, uh, uh, choices is actually, has been very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> that was super fun. And, uh, I think deserving uh, of that, uh, slightly longer, uh, podcast. So anything, uh, anything to add in the end? No, I mean, if you, you haven't watched it in a while, go back, give it another watch. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to, uh, take a, take a, dive down a weird uh, parallel multiverse, read the book. Uh, but uh, most importantly, go uh, go visit your local wine region. That's a great call, yeah. Um, what they do in that film, they, they travel to a, a region within their own state. I uh, can't, can't encourage that enough that everybody become familiar and, and, and celebrate what's being produced around you. And if, and if there's not good being produced, good wine being produced around you, that's okay. There's probably something else. That's pretty awesome and local. Celebrate that. Um, you know, it'll make you happy and, and uh, it'll make you net positive for the world. All right, Dan. Well, this was uh, a long time coming. Uh, very happy to uh, have you as co-host to, to rap with you about this subject in particular. And uh, we're, we're officially in full force summer now. So uh, looking forward to many more Summer Wine podcasts uh, and uh Talk to you next week. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. This is a Northern Wine Odyssey presented by Cork Report Media. Big thanks to Dave Miller for our opening and closing music. Check him out at DaveMillerGuitar.com. See you next time.